Okay, well, hello, and welcome to... That sounded very somber. I didn't mean it to. Hello, and welcome to episode 13, Lookup List, The Murder of Katie Seppich, part one, Lookup List. Uh, it is Friday evening, and we actually kind of split this lookup list. So Jenna has a few that she's going to share, and I have a few that I'm going to share. That's that's the that's the most intro that I have at this point. Then that's all that's needed. Okay, great. <laughs> Would you like to start? Sure. So I don't actually know. You might have to add to this, but I don't actually think I said this out loud. But when you shared about Katie Sepich. Uh, attending New Mexico State University. I think mm-hmm. we talked a bit about that. I had some questions. You said also something about, oh, this could be a additional lookup, but whatever. Um, the most PhDs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I bet they're from, you oh know, God. something in um, mineralogy or whatever. You know, like, I don't even know if I included that in the episode, oh, actually. well, that's okay, because I don't have anything about that. But when oh, I told okay. Michael about that, he's all, well, that lets me know that... Uh, it's not too hard to get a PhD from New Mexico State. <laughs> so whatever. Wait, hold on. Let me let me say, because you're right. I don't know if I included that. So let me just say that in case, because I can't remember now. But that fact that Jenna's talking about, I may have cut it out of the episode. And Which again, I, I'm not going to follow up on that fact. That's fine. Yeah. Just so that, but we mentioned it. So just so people, just in case I can tell people that New Mexico, this was the fact whether it was left in the episode or not, sorry guys, can't remember. But New Mexico has the highest concentration of PhDs per capita in the U.S., with many of them working in the research and development in the state's national laboratories and other scientific institutions. So, that's, and I think, uh, sorry, to no, go ahead. I think I had said like, well, what, what research, like what right. area? Which again, I didn't look that up. But <laughs> what I had put on my lookup list somewhere when you were sharing about Katie going to New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. I put up, I wonder what the mascot is. Oh, interesting. So, That's um, such a you thing to write down, I feel like. New Mexico State University mascot is Pistol Pete. Um, New Mexico State University teams are called the Aggies, which I'm sure, um, well, U of A Why? has the, I don't know if it's called the group, the something, the Aggies. Aggies stemming from the university's beginnings in agriculture. Oh, and so like the wow. Aggies. I never knew that. I've heard that, and I never yeah, knew what that like meant. Like U of A has a again. I don't know if it's called a group, a club, um, something. The Aggies where they participate in farm and agriculture work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the, well, that's right. That there, there also is the U of A agricultural thing, like right here at Campbell oh, sure. River area. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and so I think you can major in agriculture and farming or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, you can uh, participate in the Aggies chapter. Again, I don't know that what like word. a society. A society, something. yeah, mm. exactly. Okay. Um, cool. So they are called, their nickname, the New Mexico State University, all the teams, the people, they're called the Aggies, mm-hmm. the students. Um, but their specific mascot is Pistol Pete. And then I kind of got on a little deep hole, not that deep. I'll keep it brief. Um, New Mexico State University colors are crimson and white. I like it. Yeah. And all teams, all athletic teams, are part of the Western Athletic Conference, with the exception of the football team, uh, which went independent in 2018, which I don't really know what that means, but they're not part of the Western Conference anymore. Okay. That makes sense to me. I I feel like I should know more about that living in Georgia for so long, because it's like, I know that, you know, UGA football was like a big thing, and it's part of the something conference, and... 
I'm going to stop talking because I actually don't know that much about it. Well, and like bigger schools are part of the Big, Big Ten, Ten or right. the, yeah, they're not part of that. Um, yeah. This is so out of our realm, I, I feel know. like. <laughs> We're not doing well. But anyways, New Mexico State University is particularly noted for their programs in nursing, education, business, mm. and engineering. Interesting. And then I tried to look up, I did look up notable people who have graduated, who their alma mater is NSMU, New Mexico. Oh, no. Hold on. NMSU. Yeah, there you go. New Mexico State University. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I didn't get very far, but um, the president of Starbucks, wow. Kevin Johnson, graduated cool. from New Mexico State. That's cool. Uh, Christine Aguilera, not Christina, Christine oh. Aguilera, president of Sky Mall. You know what Sky Mall is. Sure do. I love Sky Mall. Yeah. I love a Sky Mall magazine. And it's still around. It seems a bit dated with all the internet shopping and things, but it's still on the plane. Yeah, but you know what? If I got, I haven't been on a plane in a really long time, to be honest, but if I got on a plane and there was still a Sky Mall there, I would feel right, like, at home. It would feel cozy. Yeah, it's entertaining, too. Yeah, it's love something that. So cool. And then the last person who I hadn't heard of, but I thought it was interesting, um, Kathy, I, I typed this wrong, or it recorrected me. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Okay. Just hold on. Sure. Okay, yeah, it did correct me. So it corrected me to Kathy Leaders, but I knew it wasn't that. Kathy Luders. I believe is how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first woman to head the NASA's human space flight program. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So those are some notable people. Cool. Ultimately, the mascot of New Mexico State is Pistol Pete. I like it. Cool. Cool. You want to do another one or should I? Go ahead. Okay. This one's going to be a real brief one. Um, we mentioned the El Sombrero Cafe where Katie worked in um, Las Cruces. And it is a cafe that specializes in Mexican and American dishes. And on their website, it says, our goal for you is simple. We promise to serve you the freshest homemade food of the highest quality. We hope to provide you with the best service possible. Kind of a little bit basic there, but um, the history behind the El Sombrero Cafe, which is kind of interesting, is um, it was established by Ophelia, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Carrillo? How do you spell it? C-A-R-I-L-L-O? Carrillo. Carrillo. In 1956, and um, it was adjacent to the Las Cruces Post Office, Mrs. Carrillo and her husband, Sammy, also owned Carrillo's Plumbing and Heating, which was located where the post office is now. She continued both businesses while raising two children. She pioneered 40 years in the restaurant business with her daughter, Patricia, at her side. Um, And then... Patricia continued the business after her mother retired in 1989 and has, to this day, continued the El Sombrero tradition um, with her mother as her mentor. Uh, her mother apparently had a great passion for the cafe and her recipes and the same great flavors remain unchanged from to this day from like, I mean, at this point, we're looking at, what, 60 years ago? Yeah, plus. So, yeah. So, um, so that's that's kind of cool. That's like a very long-standing historical restaurant. It sounds like in Las Cruces, where Katie worked. What's their? Um, do you have the menu right there too? Sure do. Does it highlight any particular dish? If they did, I would guess it would be a green t- a green chili dish. Well, I can tell you that the aperitivos. The ap- wow, that's how they pronounce. That's how aperitivos. They say. Oh. I don't know if that's how they say it. I'm just saying it phonetically. Yeah, no. Um, I, yeah, you know, that sounds right. Chili con queso. 
mini burritos, jalapeno poppers, Yum. chicharrones. You know what those are? No. Chicharrones. Does it say it in the description? It says cooked to order, served with jalapeno ranch. So chicharrones, I could be wrong, but fried pig skin. Mm. That probably sounds right, actually. Yeah. And then some of the entrees, you know, what you would expect with Mexican and American food. Tacos, a bunch of different kinds, quesadillas, enchiladas, ribeye steak. Just an all-around Mexican place. Yeah, Yeah. Mexican with a little bit of American in there. Sliders. Sliders with three green chili and cheese sauce. Yeah. Yum. So here's another one, but I'm going to take the next one. Uh, We talked about in the beginning the whole enchilada fiesta. Ah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And so I found out, actually... A lot of times when I'm doing these like like intro sense of place stuff, I'm I'm gathering, I'm keeping it brief with each thing because we go through a lot of stuff. So we're not going like deep dive into each one. So I didn't realize when I mentioned that, that actually in uh, 2015, the whole enchilada fiesta ceased to exist. Um, after 34 years, the uh, Roberto Estrada, who who cooked the giant enchilada at this fiesta for 32 of the 34 years, um, he decided to stop making the record-breaking enchilada. Um, and then the whole fiesta, the the board of directors voted to retire the entire event. Mm. Um, and so the, the whole enchilada fiesta included a parade, entertainment, vendors, games, and in recent years, an enchilada eating contest, a five-kilometer run, as well as the centerpiece attraction, Estrada's record-setting enchilada, 10.5 feet in diameter, served to anyone who wanted a piece. And that's what this picture is. This is a 10-foot wide enchilada. Wow. It looks like red chili enchiladas. Yeah. Enchilada. Yeah. It also looks like a huge fucking pizza. Let's be honest. It totally does. It looks great. I would love to have a piece. I mean, 10.5 feet, like... That's I mean, from what's a piece? Like I take a handful out of that. Yeah, I'm sure they just kind of scoop, scoop it. Yeah. yeah. So the the making of the en- of this giant ten foot enchilada began in 1980 when Estrada, who was the owner of Roberto's Restaurant and Roberto's Mexican Foods, was approached by the Las Cruces Chamber of Commerce to add his cooking skills to the to the event that was then called the Vaquero Days. Vaquero Days. Vaquero. What does that mean? Um, that's like a. Something to do with like a cowboy, a uh, vaquero, like a cowboy. Yeah, I believe. Cowboy or cattle driver. You are 100% correct. So except for a rainstorm in the late 1990s and one brief hiatus in 2012 to upgrade equipment, he has made the giant 10.5 foot enchilada every single year since 1980 until, until 2015. 2015. Yeah. I was going to say, what about That's COVID? But yeah, 2015. Time. Yeah. It's a long time. So, and the the event, it's gone on for that long, 34 years. Why did they a, end it? Um, the board of directors voted to retire it. That That's really all the, the information that there was. He, he decided to retire doing the enchilada. He was like done with it after 34 years, which I could understand. Must be a huge amount of energy and time that goes into that. And so then after he decided to retire doing that big enchilada, the board of directors decided to retire the event. But for the past 34 years, the three-day event attracted community members and business people within New Mexico, other states, and different countries. It provided a quality experience for people of all ages through its involvement in the community and volunteer opportunities with fun and traditions and rich cultural diversity. Sounded cool. I would have liked to go, but I guess we've missed that. We've Missed the whole enchilada on that one. Eight years. <laughs> yeah. um, What's your favorite kind of Mexican food? 
uh, taco salad. Oh. Or tacos, just like crunchy tacos. What flavor or what kind of Ooh. meat or lack of meat? Oh, God. Actually, I really like a cheese quesadilla with a little bit of um, like pinto beans, like refried beans. That's yeah. probably my favorite. Like, I'll rarely get it because just there's no redeeming nutrition to that, but it's so good to me with sour cream. Yum! I like. I, I mean, I'm I'm stopping myself because I was just about to say like so many more things. I think I like all Mexican food. It's probably my, one of my favorite kinds of foods. And being Italian, that feels like I shouldn't say that, but I'm gonna say it. Who cares? You also have lived in... Yeah, and like whatever food you want. I lived in... Yeah, I lived in Atlanta for 10 years and Southern food was never my favorite. We also have Russian background. Is uh, uh, borscht one of your favorite foods? It is not. Right. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, all right. Well, the next... I, I only have three more well, and I'll they relate to, to the episode. So why don't you go? Yeah. Okay. So this one, I'm going to pronounce everything wrong. Okay. Great. So you mentioned the duck-billed hadrosaur. That they um, that was right. found in and around Las Cruces, New Mexico. Yes, right. That in Correct. the sense of place of Las this Cruces. episode. Yes, yes. And um, okay, so it was a new species or or genus um, of the Hadrosauri. That's like the overarching type of dinosaur uh, was found by paleontologists in 2021 dubbed the Ornithops incantatus. I have a question. Now uh -huh. I get to ask questions. Yeah. So you said it's the Hadris, something of the genus? Yep. So, okay. So you had called it a duck-billed Hadrosaur. Mm -hmm. So the overarching type yeah, or yeah. species is, I guess, plurally, it's the Hadrosauride or okay, Hadrosauride. So my question is, what are the characteristics of that? Oh, well, okay. So they... Are, have a prominent, robust projection jutted from the back of their stout lower jaw. Wow. So it's like this thing, I know no one can see me, but it's like right here. Like the back of their head. Yeah, kind like, of. so it comes from like here, I guess. Like the back of their jaw to the back yeah, of their head. Yeah, and it's like a little, not little, it's like a, a jut. Like, like, a, a, like a ridge. A ridge, yeah. Okay. That's how I would have better understood it. Okay, Yeah. interesting. So, Are they big, like a T-Rex or? No, nothing's as big as a T-Rex, although I don't know how big. <laughs> T-Rex is the biggest. I'm sorry, that just rubbed me like funny. Nothing is as big as a T-Rex. Well, it's not, <laughs> at least of what okay. the human race has found. <laughs> That's fair. Right? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know otherwise, so I'll agree with you. Sure. God. A Brontosaurus Rex? Is that a brontosaurus period? A brontosaurus period. <laughs> Those are the ones I believe with the long necks, the gentle giants. Yes. Yeah. And they, in all the things, they, it looks like they almost have little to it, no teeth. Yeah. Tiny yeah. little face on this long Because they're vegetarian. Long neck. Right, right, yeah. right. These are two, okay. from what I can understand. And again, I don't really know, but from what I could see. So this was a whole new species, though, of this duck billed hadrosaur. Mm. And so again, dubbed ornithops incantatus and so they found the paleontologists in 2021 found a partial skeleton including a big part of a skull in san juan county new mexico and these dinosaurs or this species genus uh lived in the late the late crustaceous era and again they have that prominent projection jutted from the back of their stout lower jaw to the back of their head yep yeah and oh, i didn't look this up 
It said they have large dental batteries in both their upper and lower jaw. A what does that dental mean? Ba- I don't know. I meant to look that up. This one, I could have gone on a way deep dive, so I think I just stopped myself. Hadrosaurs had teeth arranged into what are called dental batteries, rows of stacked teeth designed for crushing and grinding tough, fibrous plant matter to increase its digestibility. These tooth batteries could contain up to 300 individual teeth in each part of the jaw. Whoa! 300 teeth? They were chomping through plants. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. They were eating a lot of plants. Yeah. So maybe we should also... Healthy I know people fellas. can look up a hadrosaur and even the specific genus, but maybe yeah, we, we should, should post a, a picture. picture. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I will say, for anyone listening, we've I, I, I have fallen a bit behind on the social media lately. The goal is to always post those kind of swipe through pictures of each case and... Um, and there have just been life and work things happening that have, you know, recording the episode always comes first and social media comes second. And unfortunately, that has fallen by the wayside. So we're going to do some catching up because we actually took a um, we took a drive like two weeks ago. Was that maybe to La Paloma where Gary Triano um, was blown up and we took video and pictures and I have still not gotten around to posting them. So I I just will say I apologize I've kind of been slacking on the social media but we are going to pick it up I'm going to pick it up in the next week or so so stay tuned sometimes don't you ever feel like we we shouldn't apologize for things until it's known or like they don't know they're missing out I know (laughs) anyways I just the last thing I had written is um that these uh hadrosaurs are ornithopods i told you guys i was gonna mispronounce things i'm doing my best Mm -hmm. but so i just looked up ornithopod and i knew it was like a bipedal so standing on two feet they're capable of standing on two feet Mm. they start out as small bipedal running grazers and grow in size and numbers until they became one of the most successful groups of herbivores in the crustaceous world dominating the north american land wow and then over here you can see a picture of the the skeleton of one. Wow. And it's at the Field Museum. Look at that horn. Yep. Cool. Yeah, so, we should post that yeah. picture. That's really interesting. Yep. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's your duck-billed hadrosaur information. <laughs> okay. Here, let me just do this one. Yeah. The largest pecan field. So mm. I want to know if you Can listeners you say something? pecan or yes. pecan. I, was I say pecan. I was just going to say. But I've said pecan before. Pecan. I say pecan, I think. I think naturally pecan comes out, but I, I like pecan. Yeah. Pecan. I, I'm okay with either. doesn't matter what I'm okay with. <laughs> okay. Tomato, tomato. That's right. Uh, so you had mentioned the largest pecan field. Mm-hmm. So this, it's S-T-A, S-T-A-H-M-A-N-N. So I said Stamen, but it's Stamen. Stamen mm. Farms, maybe? Okay, yeah. Stamen Farms owns one of the largest pecan orchards in the world, uh, just south of Las Cruces in the Mesilla Valley, uh, mm. which is quite fertile ground, I read. And mm. um, in 1932, the Stamen family planted 4,000 acres of pecan trees, wow. which has grown to over 182,000 trees today producing, listen to this really shocked me. This is all I got. So it's like a hard period after this. (laughs) Producing eight to 10 million pounds of pecans per year. Eight to 10 million pounds? Wow. Per year. And pecans aren't cheap. 
And pecans aren't heavy, so you got to imagine that's a lot of pecans. They are light, and they're not cheap. Have you ever... I yeah, mean, they're not the most true. expensive nut, but they're not cheap. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the Period. quote. I'm posting that. They're not the most expensive they're nut. They're not, <laughs> I don't believe, but they're not cheap. What do you think the most expensive nut is? A walnut? Mm. You think? No. Mm. What are other kinds of nuts that come I think to a mind? macadamia nut. Yeah, macadamia. Peanut, no, that's on the lower no. end. Almonds are not cheap, but they yeah, become like, more common. I feel like almond, pecan, and what's the other one? Walnut, Walnut are, kind, are of kind of similar. Yeah, a macadamia nut is like a step yeah. above. Is there another one? I guess that's it. I'm sure there are. Most expensive nut. No, that's what I have to know now. The macadamia nut is the Good most one. expensive nut in the world with the hardest shell to crack flavor that makes them you. Ubiquitous in our daily diets, syndrome, and heart disease. That seems like an incomplete sentence. But yeah. macadamia. Um, yeah, macadamia nuts. The eight most expensive nuts are pecans, Brazil nuts, walnuts, cashews, chestnuts, almonds, pine nuts, and macadamia nuts. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess not that interesting because to me, it's like nuts, expensive, period. Yeah, nuts are expensive. It's yeah. not peanuts for sure. Eight to 10 million pounds. So however much a pound of a pecan sells for, and I know they sell them wholesale to like grocers and markets and stuff, but still. I mean, you got to think like, I'm thinking, okay, so I've made, what are you, I don't know, I bake something with pecans in it. Maybe it's mom's carrot cake or something. I think like I buy eight ounces of pecans and it's like seven Which is a half pound. Yeah. I mean, this is on nuts.com. Wow. It says you can buy a five pound bag for $34. So a pound here on this probably wholesale. That's like bulk. $7 a pound. Yeah. So so set $7 times 10 million pounds. $70 million. I think that math is correct. It is. <laughs> So I'm just, I mean, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Wow. Wow. Amazing. I'm going to start a pecan field. Yeah. Count me in. I'll jump in on that. All right, go ahead. All right. So I have three more little things here. So uh, something that we talked about in this part one is that when uh, Katie's dad came and and I remember in the episode, I said, I don't remember if he went to the police station, the morgue or, or her house. But there was, when he arrived from Carlsbad to Las Cruces, there was, and he walked in, wherever he was walking in, there was a police captain, an advocate, and a minister is what I found. And so I just, you had written that down, and I just figured I'd, I'd find a little bit more about like protocols when it comes to telling the next of kin that a family member's dead. Well, yeah, now that, I don't know if I said this or thought it at the time, but just the minister part is like, because the person was dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Even if he didn't know his person well, then was he dead, knows. then he knew, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so some of the just stipulations uh, for for alerting next of kin that someone is dead is to always make the death notification in person, never by telephone, which seems obvious. Um, it's very important to provide the survivor with a human presence of compassion during this extremely stressful time. Notifiers who are present can help if the survivor has a dangerous shock reaction, which is very common, and they can help the survivor move through this difficult moment. That's why they're there. So that's why there's a minister and an advocate. Um, what I, if he was Jewish? Well, then a rabbi, perhaps. So maybe they just knew? Or is that just protocol, like a minister or a priest? 
great question. I don't have yeah. an answer for that. Um, ideally, persons who are informing, who are making a death notification are law enforcement officer in uniform and a medical examiner or another civilian such as a chaplain, victim service counselor, family doctor, clergy person, or a close friend. And it this website that I found said a female slash male team is often advantageous to have one of both people. Mm. Um, and, and it's important to have, going off of that, it's important to have two notifiers because survivors may experience severe emotional or physical reactions. Some even strike out at the people who are notifying them. Um, so it's important to have more than just one person there and to take two separate vehicles in case you need to escort the um, survivor or the next of kin, you know, somewhere else to have one person who can do that. Um, and before the notifier team arrives, they should have a plan, decide who will speak, what will be said, etc. So that's there was a lot more than that, but that felt like a appropriate amount of information to share. I don't really have an answer as to why it just it's basically just it's just more support, yeah, yeah. more people, yeah. Um, so the next one was, you know, we talked a bunch about, and I think I cut some of it, but we kept a bunch of it in. Like you would ask, I had said that um, Tracy was calling hospitals and, and jails, like looking for Katie. Mm-hmm. And you had said, like, would I do that? Would I call hospitals and jails looking for you? If you went yeah. missing, we kind of just talked through that whole scenario. Uh, so there wasn't a, a real question necessarily there, but I just looked up the typical, if there is a typical, but the the uh, kind of a broad generalization of what people do when someone goes missing. Mm-hmm. So, and this happened to be on a, on a website about Las Vegas in particular, which this just shocked me. In Las Vegas, an average of five to seven adult persons are reported missing every single day. In Vegas. In Vegas. 200 people a month are reported missing. That is, wow. That just seems like a, a huge amount of people. I'd also want to know how that, com- I'm not shitting on Vegas, but Vegas, it's you know, a little Vegas bit different. Vegas. Yeah, it's I a don't know. Place. Maybe maybe we'd find the same numbers, but that's maybe. just where my head goes. Maybe. You know, and then I think we've we've actually honestly talked about m- missing persons a lot. We even include you found a phone number for adult missing persons mm-hmm. that we now include in every show notes and stuff like that. So I mean, we've talked about this a lot, and I think we've already put to bed the myth that you have to wait forty eight or seventy two hours. That's not true. There's mm-hmm. no waiting period. Again, I may be repeating myself, but there this this website just goes on to say there are many reasons why a person voluntarily disappears, including mental illness, depression, substance abuse relationships, marital discord, etc. Maybe um, also they committed a murder or a big crime. That's true. It says the fact is that being a voluntary missing person is not a crime. Any adult person can simply walk away and choose to ignore family, friends, and associates. And because it's not a crime, law enforcement is limited on how they can induct can, how they can conduct these type of investigations. Um, really, they can only investigate when, when there's a strong possibility or something indicates foul play. Most missing person cases are solved within a few days or weeks. However, there are times when cases go on several months or even years. I feel like they often go on several months or years. Um, You may want to enlist the services of a private investigator. If you have a social security number for the person you're looking for, you may write a letter to the missing person, put it in an envelope with his or her name on it, write another letter to the social security administration office explaining that you are looking for this person. Be sure to include the social security number of the missing person, place both letters in an envelope to the social security administration office and ask that the enclosed letter be forwarded to the person's last known address. 
Interesting. Wow. I guess that's yeah. if, if somebody like voluntarily went missing. Sure. Another option would be to contact the Salvation Army, which has a missing persons locator program. But if a person's voluntarily voluntarily going off the not off the grid, but going quote unquote missing, yeah. Unless I need services or support, you know, financial, yeah, you're not I'm not going to be part of that locator program or right. whatever. Yeah. So, but maybe after a period of time, maybe I think I got my shit together. I'm going. I'm going to just like go missing, and then at some point, I bet a lot of people who do that need services, mm-hmm. need support. Yeah, through yeah. the Salvation Army and whatever. Um, I guess it is very common to call hospitals when you when you can't find somebody, and a lot of times you can call a hospital. You can ask about their name, but. Apparently, hospitals are permitted to tell you if someone is a patient in the facility, if you ask for that person by name, Mm -hmm. unless the patient has instructed that hospital not to reveal that information. Um, Ah, So they have to specifically instruct. It's not like they have to specifically sign a waiver of release Mm -hmm. of information. Right. They just Ah. have to say, don't tell anyone. But if... But you can also ask the hospital if they've admitted anyone who lacked identification, like a John or Jane Doe. You can ask the hospital that, and they're able to to tell you that. And then, and then the next step would be to give a detail, like tattoos, age, height, build, things like that. Right. Um, birthmarks, what, whatever. Which I don't have a birthmark, so you'll never know if I go missing. Well, or you haven't found it. Well, I have a ton of tattoos, though. Really? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Ever, I, guess- I feel like everyone has a birthmark. No matter how faded it is or not. I can't. I mean, I've in my many, I'm not going to say, but my many years of life, I've never come across it. It might be inside of my body, I guess. Like in inside? Like I was going to say, like maybe in your butt crack somewhere or something. Maybe. I don't know. I do have a freckle on my lower eyelid, but I don't think that's a birthmark. Like how do you determine a birthmark from a freckle? Because I have a lot of freckles. I don't know. But I know (laughs) that my birthmark is on your foot. Is on my foot. And like, it's not, I have a ton of freckles and little moles here and there. Yes, yours is very obviously not a freckle though. Well, right. I don't think freckles are birthmarks. That's what I'm trying to say. Michael and his bro- all three brothers have the exact same birthmark and it's a, a very clear birthmark. Okay. So freckles are specific skin cells that contain extra pigmentation, often a sign of sun exposure. A birthmark is a mark that is present when an individual is born. While birthmarks are common, not everyone has one. Huh. There's no way to predict if a child will have a birthmark or not. Not having a birthmark isn't a sign of a particular health condition or a cause for concern. It means you're just not important. <laughs> just my my birth was never marked. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and the very last one, which is very quick, is um, you had written down a, that body that was found that was Katie's. I believe we covered that in part one. I hope so. Because otherwise that's a big spoiler alert. Well, a body was found, I think, in part yeah, one. and we said that her dad came down and stuff, though. So it was okay. covered, yeah. Okay. Um, so the autops- autopsy determined that Katie's cause of death was strangulation, and she was sexually assault- assaulted and had burn marks, and, and the burn marks on her body were the result of a flammable liquid thrown on her body. Somebody tried to set her body on fire, but the fire burned itself out. And what was determined, and so this... This is not until part two, but, well, I can give a a little bit, but not all of it. Mm. So we do find out the killer in part two on Monday, and this killer person had a bottle of alcohol on them, just like a random bottle of like- Like liquor? Like, yes, liquor on them, and and poured that over her and tried to set it on fire and tried to, that was what he he or she used. 
and did not work. work well. No, the fire burnt itself out pretty quickly. Her body was very identifiable, so it was there wasn't that much burn on it. I'm not diminishing how terrible it is, but she was dead already, and then he, yes, tried to. I feel like I'm talking myself into a hole here, so. Well, they also, if her body was terribly burned, they wouldn't have been able to determine she was sexually assaulted, I imagine. I imagine the same, yeah. yeah. So, and that, uh, that's it. That is our... Now I have one more. Oh, Tires, shit. tires, sorry. tires, sorry. tires. So sorry. So I wanted, I was like, what kind of tires did they find, right? Right. So you didn't know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just looked up a little bit about tire impressions being part of evidence or yeah, forensic something in a murder and or other, other case, just a, sure. just a legal case. So tire impressions are put in a category of forensic analysis with footwear impressions. And FBI laboratory began analyzing footwear and tire impressions in the early 1930s. In the 1960s, the analysis of footwear and tire impression evidence was expanded beyond the outsole design or the tread pattern to include physical size and spacing, that's more footwear, tread dimensions, that's tires, Mm -hmm. the wear, that's both and randomly acquired characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, tire examinations follow a deductive process wherein all tires in the world are potential sources of a particular tire impression. So they basically they're saying they have a cata- a catalog of all the tire impressions in the world, or they've built that up over the years since 1930s uh, by imply by applying the methods of superimposition and side by side comparison to assess the correspondence of design, physical size and spacing, and where an examiner can reduce the potential sources of an impression to a class of potential sources. Oy. You said potential a lot there. Yeah, they mm-hmm. said it. It. <laughs> it. Um, so basically what they take into account when there are clear tire marks mm-hmm. is the tire design, which is the tread pattern on the tire, Uh, the tire dimension, the physical size, and arrangement of the geometric shapes in the pattern, Um, and then the wear, the results of contact between the tread surface and the bearing surface, and then whatever they consider randomly acquired characteristics. Ooh, I have something to add to this. Yeah, well, that's all I got, so add on. So I don't think you watched this whole episode, but you know that show Poker Face on Peacock with Natasha Leone or whatever? So I put on that episode last week, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, I've watched it all. Okay, so, and at one point, in, this is a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this, so. Fast forward a few, yeah. 30 seconds. So in that episode, at some point, uh, what's her name? The girl, uh, what do they call, what's her name? It's like a man's name because she stole his credit card. Oh, um, Watson or I don't know, something. It starts with an M. Yeah, it does. But um, anyways, the the like, you know, kind of hitchhiker woman. The snowboarder. Yeah. She was like a, yeah. she went place to place snowboarding. It right. was a tough life for her. And then, and so she figured out that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had murdered um, another snowboarder, you know, many years ahead, before, and then also had hit Natasha Leone with his car and, and then tried to bury her under the this tree. And she figured it out because he had walked the body through the snow and to this w- tree and he wore very specific expensive shoes and unrealistic she, for snow very they were un- slide on slipper like yes. fancy slippers yes and she said to him don't wear super you know unique shoes in the snow when you're bearing a body because i know it was you mm-hmm. and it and i like i was like god that's 
so obvious and also so um, smart. I mean, so smart. And just that's what it reminded me of. It had freshly snowed, though, because remember, it was snowing when she was hit. Yeah. God, so it was fresh. episode. Fresh Prince. Yeah. Good episode. And that just reminded me of that. So that's it. Wear well-known, common, popular yeah, shoes. Yeah, we're like um, common Nikes or Timberlands or something that like a bunch of people have. I don't know. <laughs> Timberlands or not. Or just don't murder anyone. There you go. That's the closing wisdom that we're going to have for tonight's uh, look up list. Don't murder anyone. And um, we hope everyone has a lovely weekend. I actually think this look up list might get out. The Last week, the look up list didn't come out till Tuesday. The goal is to have uh-huh. this one out tomorrow. So we'll see, guys. If you're listening to this on Saturday, goal has been met. If not, I tried. Wait, uh, you're trying to put it out tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll see. But otherwise, either which way, not otherwise, either which way, uh, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. And uh, we will see you Monday. Oh, I actually wanted to say something about this website that you told me about that I use now regularly. I subscribed to it. And it's called Mila Note, M-I-L-A Note.com. And I use it to plan all of our podcast episodes, to plan upcoming episodes, marketing strategy, like everything. It's a really like visual kind of, you can have pictures and little boards. Like and, a storyboard. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's, yeah. It, you had sent it to me weeks ago and I tried it out, the free version, and I loved it so much and find it really, really helpful when, when I'm planning and writing these episodes and then even telling them. And so they are not a sponsor, but I don't know if other people who have podcasts listen to this. Uh, it's something that I, I have found extremely, extremely useful. And, and it's not just for podcasting, it's for um, graphic design or marketing. It's kind of just a storyboard kind of visual planning app. And it's an app on your phone or your iPad. And then also it's a website that you can use on your um, computer or PC. So uh, I just wanted to mention it and thought that anybody out there who who likes a visual type planning thing might find it useful. So check it out. That's milanote.com. Again, not an ad, just an actual recommendation. And maybe you're hoping they'll become an ad. It'd be awesome if they were, but if not, I still think that it's like a super awesome, it's just an awesome ad. I I've, I found it extremely helpful. So I wanted to give that recommendation. I feel like I could talk, I could have a whole episode talking about things like products and brands that I love that don't sponsor us, but I won't do that. Um, that, that would be boring. So we're, I'm, we're just going to end. I'm going to stop talking. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>